Let's transition here into uh, the sermon this morning. I want you to imagine with me that you are invited to attend a gathering of some sort. Let's say it's your first Thanksgiving with the in-laws or something, right? Or it's a bunch of coworkers are going out to eat after, after work, and you don't know them all that well. You're pretty new at the job, and so you're going out there, and you get some coaching from somebody before you go to this gathering, right? Thanksgiving with new family members that you've married into or something, or new uh, coworkers that you don't know very well. The coaching from the person would go something like this. Hey, be careful you don't bring up these two topics, right? Because you don't know them very well, and you don't know where they're at with things. And so don't mention these two things. What are the two things? Exactly. You said them in different orders, but yeah, that was uh, exactly. I heard religion and politics, and I also heard politics and religion. That is correct. People have strong opinions about these two topics. I'm happy to report that at my family gatherings, we talk about both these things all the time, and it's fine. But if you're going into a a situation where you don't know somebody, that this is what they're told, hey, tread lightly around these two topics, because there are very strong and passionate opinions on those two topics. And I've got some news for you this morning, and that is that we are combining those two topics with this morning's message and just talking about both of them, right? So let's make it awkward. Let's, here we go. (laughs) We've been talking in the book of Romans about how do we practice the love of Jesus? How do we express Christian love? But he, it's not enough for Paul to say in the book of Romans, love people, which is what he's saying, but he gets very specific. Here's how you love people in the church. Practice your spiritual gifts. The gifts God's given you to bless his church, use those. And that's one of the ways that you can show love. How do you show love to the people around you? And he gave us a bunch of commands last week that we went through about that. And then how do you love people who treat you like an enemy? And he talked about that. That was in last week's message. And now the scope gets broadened a little bit more. How do you love the people in your nation? How do you love the government that has leadership over your nation? This gets into some tricky territory, as you might imagine. But Paul is teaching the Christians in Rome, how do you relate to the government as followers of Christ? We are 22 days from an election, right? This is a lot of people are... Uh, politics and government stuff are on our minds constantly in our culture. Our culture is sort of obsessed with it, I think. I'll talk more about why I think that is. And, and then we've got, you know, how do you, how do you Christians relate to the government? We have government employees probably that are a part of our, our church, right? That your, your paycheck comes from the government. You are the government in some ways, right? The government is, it, it has a lot of employees and things like that. We have our local governments, our state governments, our national governments. How, how do Christians relate in that environment? How do we follow Jesus as citizens of the earthly kingdoms that we're all a part of, keeping in mind that our ultimate allegiance is to the heavenly kingdom? So with that in mind, we're going to jump into Romans chapter 13. And I'll just give a little disclaimer here that if I don't cover something as in-depth as you would have liked me to with this topic, again, people have lots of opinions about government stuff specifically. Um, I'd love to have follow-up conversations or whatever, and I won't be able to cover this entire topic with the depth of that I might like to if I had a few hours to sit with you and have a conversation about how, how Christians should interact with the government or think about the government um, or think about how the news is reported on the government or all of these things, right? There's a lot that goes into this topic. We think about it a lot, and I may not be able to answer every single question or address all the things. So with that disclaimer in mind, 
Let's jump into Romans chapter 13. We're going to read verses 1 through 10. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Owe nothing, uh, no, owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfilling of the law. All right, so there's a lot of insights we get here about the government, the government's responsibility, the government's role, and then our role in response to that as citizens in the nation that I think we're mostly Americans in this room, and think about it in that context. So there's insights about the government. One is that the government has authority from God delegated to them. That God takes, you know, we're saying all authority is yours, but God allows government leaders, whether we're talking local, statewide, national, he delegates some authority to them, and they have a responsibility to, to carry out that authority, but they're instituted by God. This is not something that accidentally happened, that God was like, whoops, they started politics, you know, it wasn't like... He didn't know that this was going to happen. He actually delegated authority to them for the good of the people that they govern, right? It's been instituted by God. And beyond that, furthermore, and this is tricky, this is tough, it's going to be tough for some of us, that the people in authority have been appointed by God. God's not surprised when different people win elections, right? God's, God's appointing that person. God's allowing that person to be in that office or to be in that role, and no matter what you think of the current powers, locally, state, national, they've been appointed by God. And, and God knows what's going on. God was not surprised by that. And God was involved in them being in the role that they're being in. God's given government certain roles to perform. God's delegated certain functions to, to government. And specifically, we're told these two things, to do good to the citizens and to carry out justice. Now, let's have a, let's, let's think, I want us to put our thinking caps on. That's what our elementary school teachers would say, right? Let's put our thinking caps on for this question. If there was never a fall, if sin never, it never entered into the world, would government or politics have existed? Think about it for a second. I, that my, my initial response would be to, say, to be to say no, but the more I think about it, that even so, so government has multiple functions, right? One is to carry out justice, 
which is if you have sin in the world and, and justice needs to be carried out and, and wrongdoers need to be kept away from the rest of the citizens and things like that or carry out these things, th- there is a function of government. A lot of government is, is that, the whole legal system and, and all of these different things. But what about just organizing people? Right? If, the, if the world continued without the fall and, and Adam and Eve were fruitful and multiplied and the world was perfect and there was no sin in this world, there might at some point come a need to just organize people to do projects and things like that. Right? Or I imagine like in an unfallen world, there's like these New Orleans-style brass band parades you know, happening all the, all the, all the time all, all over the place, and maybe the babies are sleeping and these, you know, these uh, loud musical parades are interfering with the baby's sleep or whatever, and they, so they say, hey, we need to just coordinate these and schedule these or, or whatever it, it might be. I don't know exactly what that would look like. This is where you have to have the thinking cap on, right? But maybe they're going to build a road or they're going to plant something in the garden or whatever it might be that the need to organize people um, in, in some ways and have people that lead and, and point out projects and things like that, I think government would have existed in a very different form if there wasn't a fall, I think. And we can debate that. We can talk more about that. The Bible doesn't address that specifically. One of the things that I think is tricky about, so government's role is not to replace religion, right? It's to do its appointed role in society, to organize people, to do good to the citizens, to carry out justice, um, in the United States and Europe, I say North America and Europe, maybe U.S. and Canada, and in Europe, religious practice, church attendance, things like that has been decreasing over the years. And it's more no- noticeable in certain parts of the church than in other parts of the church. But just because religious practice or religious church attendance or religious observance has de- decreased does not mean that people cease to be religious or spiritual. They, they simply redirect those instincts. And I think politics, the political system, I think is one of the places where people just pour those religious instincts into. And I said this before the last presidential election, but I think one of the reasons why the fervor and the fury and the rage, the anger, just the, the, the fear around this, one of the reasons for that is because people are not looking for a political leader, they're looking for a savior in some way. If we can get our person in office, they'll save us, they'll, they'll rescue us and rescue the world, and that's what we really need. And so you put their hopes on a mortal human instead of where they belong, which is with Jesus, that government doesn't have that role of providing saviors for us, right? They have a function that they've been delegated to by God, but it's, they're not our saviors, right? And politics will often function as a false religion or an alternative to true faith in God. We need to be aware of that. We need to look for hints of that in our own lives, but just be aware that that's kind of how the world seems to work. And let me get back to the text here because I've been offering my theories about a couple of things here. But um, our role, Paul says, and I want to say too that I will get to the exceptions in a moment, but our role when it comes to government is subjection and obedience. That we listen to what the laws are and we try the best of our ability to follow the laws. And we think, scholars believe that Paul included this, this chapter, this portion of Romans 13, of, of the book of Romans, to, because he knew that people were going to be reading this over the shoulder of the Christians who received this letter, that probably a copy of this letter was going to make it to Caesar's staff somehow, that they, they're, they're curious about what these Christians believe. And Paul lays out this deep 
theology. This is what Christians believe. This is why we believe it. This is who Jesus is. This is what Jesus has done. And he's gone deep with it. And he gets to this now. Now, how do we live this out? And Romans 13, he knew that people are going to be reading this that are curious about how, how the followers of Christ, this new faith, these Christians that were in the heart of Rome, what do they think about the government? Are they revolutionaries? Do they believe that they need to get rid of the Caesar or assassinate him or whatever the case may be? He's clarifying that our kingdom is in heaven, right? And, and being a Christian could, should make you the best kind of citizen, right, if things are functioning as it should be. And think about the political system during Paul's day, Caesar. Specifically, we believe that when this letter was written and received by the Romans, there was a particularly notorious Caesar named Nero, not a good guy, right? Burned down the city of Rome, we think, and then blamed the Christians, and there was persecution on the Christians probably shortly after this letter was written. There was a Caesar that had absolute power. That was the political system during Paul's day. And it makes me really curious, what would Paul say to people like us living in a democratic republic where we are actually part of the government in, in some ways, right? The government is we the people, right? I don't know exactly what he would say, but one thing I do know is that he, he asserted his rights several times. You know, he had, we have the Bill of Rights in our, in our country, and I'm grateful for that. We, have, we can gather like this. It's one of the things protected in the Bill of Rights, um, freedom of speech and all of these different things. And Paul had rights as a Roman citizen that he would strategically use for the advancement of the gospel, right? He's arrested, thrown into prison, he's beaten, and he makes a point to tell, hey, I'm a Roman citizen. This is not how you treat Roman citizens. Um, and, and, you know, being able to travel the way he did and all these things, he had certain rights as a Roman citizen, which, was a, which he would use for the sake of the gospel, so I think if Paul was writing a letter to the, the church in 2023 and how you live as a Christian in this, our current political moment, political system, I think he would say things like be informed about what's going on, what you're voting on. You're part of the government system. Your vote matters. He would encourage us to vote. I think he would encourage us to, he would encourage us to remind the government of its God-given role to be just, to carry out justice and to do good. And anytime the government strays away from that, even to be a part of the solution to that, not only running or not only voting, but even running for office, even being a part of, you know, running for school board or running for city council or whatever it might be, I think, I think he would encourage us to do those sorts of things. In general, we want to live our lives in obedience and with subjection, follow the laws, obey what the government asks us to do. But let's think about a, the exception that's an obvious one. What if it's illegal to be a Christian? What if it's illegal to gather like this? What if it's illegal to speak openly about Jesus and about our faith? The church faced this challenge, right? And the church right now is facing this challenge in other parts of the world, where in North Korea, they meet in secret. They don't even tell their children that they're a, a Christian family for fear that the children might accidentally tell someone at school and get the whole family arrested. Um, in Acts chapter 4, the apostles were in the, it's the early days of the Christian movement, shortly after the day of Pentecost. And the apostles had uh, been a part of this healing, this man that was at the temple and would wait for alms, you know, and, and survived in this way. And they came by and, and they said, hey, we don't have silver or gold, but what we do have is in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise and walk. And this man who had been uh, unable to walk his whole life restored, his health is restored, 
And that draws a crowd, and then they begin to preach. They begin to declare openly who Jesus is and how this miracle could happen. And this gets them in trouble. So they end up in front of the government at that time in Jerusalem. They end up in the the kind of city council area. And I want to read a few verses from Acts chapter 4 about how that conversation goes. It says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, this is the Sanhedrin, the leaders, and they perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that they may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. There's a moment here where Christianity goes from just being this thing in, in the early days of in Jerusalem, in the early days of the church, this big movement, this gathering. Now it's become illegal to speak publicly in the name of Jesus. And they they bump up against the challenge in Romans 13. If we're supposed to obey the government, but we have a higher allegiance to God, what do you do in that situation? Will you obey God rather than man? And he says, in, in fact, you have to judge. That's your job. Whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. But we're going to keep talking. And you're going to have to do what you got to do. And later in Romans chapter, or in Acts chapter 5, they do continue talking. There's big gatherings of people and they're arrested, they're beaten. And they said, we told you not to talk in this name. And Peter and the apostle says, we must obey God rather than man. And then they're beaten and released. But this is the issue for, for many Christians today in, around the world is that they have to go, we have a higher obedience that goes even beyond the government. And if the government is, is, is calling us to disobey God, we have to make that difficult decision. Uh, in the military, there's something called the Uniform Code of Military Justice. And there's, there's something called lawful orders, that your, your responsibility is to obey all lawful orders, implying that there are unlawful orders that you could be commanded to do something by a superior that would actually be unlawful, and that to obey them in that situation would be breaking a higher law. And as Christians, um, sometimes, certainly around the world, this is a common occurrence that people have to wrestle through this dynamic. Oh, there's a higher law. So we obey the government until obeying the government means disobeying God. And in that case, we have to obey God rather than man. I want to show you a case study of, of what I'm talking about here um, in just a moment. Uh, so I th- we, we have this, we want to tell people about Jesus, right? We want people to know who Jesus is. We want to share our faith. And maybe you might think, hey, let's use any and all means necessary to tell people about Jesus. And so I want to show you an example as a case study of what we're talking about. Can I show that first picture up here? So this, if you can't see, this is a cross. We have a closer review. Let's go to the next one. It's on Garland. This is the new North-South Freeway area. Someone has painted a cross. It's the first graffiti I've seen on this new construction process here. But this is like a little overpass on Garland, the new north-south freeway area. And I noticed this driving by, and I quickly snapped a picture with my phone as I'm driving by. And this is the one uh, where I got it most clearly um, and safely. I was being very safe with my phone use while I was driving. But this is, it's a cross, right? There's, 
Like the Jesus' blood on the, the nail areas on the, on the cross here. And I don't know, like the, Spokane's a small town. You might know who did this. You might have done this. I don't know. <laughs> but I, I don't know what the motive is, but I imagine it was a good motive. I can imagine someone young, like a young man or something, who's just like, God is turning his life around. He loves Jesus. He's, he's just can't get over what Jesus has done for him. And as like a testimony of just like wanting people to know about Jesus and what Jesus has done, he paints this cross on the overpass of the, of the freeway. And, and I, I appreciate the heart or my guesses about the heart, and I don't know if you know them, um, we can meet or something, I don't know. But, but this is illegal, right? Um, we're not supposed to do this. We're not, we're not required to do this kind of thing as a measure of our um, allegiance to Jesus, right? In fact, it's this next, let's go to the last slide. This is a vandalism, right? It's not, it's not, yeah. Yeah, so I really just all of that because I wanted to show that word up there and I just love that. But, um, this is one of those, like, we, we probably can find other ways to express our faith in Jesus without, without using a vandalism. Thank you. So we can take that, take that picture down. <clears throat> our motivation for, for following um, the expectations, you know, as far as the laws and legal system and things like that, Paul says that we want to avoid the wrath of God that sometimes comes through the government, and we also want to live in good conscience, but one of our motives is that we want to walk in love. And that's how the portion that we were just reading ended. We want to be loving. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is what God is calling us to do. Um, love does no wrong to a neighbor. right? And owe nothing to anyone except to love each other for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. And one of the ways we express our love is by how we conduct ourselves as citizens of where we live recognizing, of course, that we have a higher law that we're ultimately faithful to. But because we, our, allegiance, our allegiance is ultimately to God, that makes us good citizens in general, right? Um, so pay taxes to whom taxes are due, the revenue. And then he says this one, and this one's the taxes you might be doing, and that's fine. Respect and honor. Ooh, that one's tough. Uh, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. Sometimes this is challenging, particularly in the political world. You see it anytime you open your phone or anytime you open the newspaper that, that the, the way that political leaders are spoken about is not, t it doesn't tend to be very respectful or honorable, right? If you're on the opposite side of whatever political leader we're talking about, it's very common to just be incredibly disrespectful and incredibly dishonoring to them. But regardless of how much you might disagree with them and regardless of if the rumors are true about them, we still owe them respect and honor. We don't want to dehumanize people just because we disagree with them. Here's a weird example that I'm still going to share, even though it's weird. Um, a few years ago, a bunch of, like, probably more than 10 years ago, uh, Britney Spears was going through some stuff, and it was all over the tabloids. She shaved her hair off, and there was a picture of her just angrily hitting a paparazzi's car with bald hair, and, like, she's got an umbrella, and she's just wailing on this car. And I remember seeing that come across my news feed or whatever at the time. And I just remember thinking, like, I, I didn't even know what to think about it. It was just kind of a strange thing. But then someone else wrote an article that, that caught my attention at that time. And it talked about how we tend to dehumanize or dishonor celebrities. So it was really easy to just, like, say negative things about her because it was a weird time in her life. She, I think she was going through some mental health issues 
and a lot of people were just like, just speaking very negatively and very publicly about this person. And I, I'd kind of forgotten until I read this article that even famous people are people made in the image of God who Jesus loves, right? I don't know why we don't think about it in those terms. Or the, the president or the current president or the last president are people made in the image of God who Jesus loves, that they have value and worth even if we totally disagree with them. And so we have to be careful to honor and respect people even if we're not on the same page, even if we're very different disagree with where they are, when we speak about them, we should be honoring and respectful because they are an individual made in the image of God whom Jesus loves, okay? So, uh, and, and pray for them, by the way. 2 Timothy 2, 1 through 2 says we need to pray for our leaders. 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 2, sorry, not 2 Timothy, if you're taking notes there. Verse 8 said we need to be careful to owe nothing to anyone except for love. If you're looking for a good verse to go along with your uh, journey to get out of debt. This is a good one to put on there that, that debt in general should be avoided, but there's one debt that we will never repay, and that is to love people. Why will we always be in debt? Because God has loved, lavished his love upon us through Jesus. He has poured out his love. You will never even the score in the way that you show love to other people with the love that you are received. You, have, you will always be indebted to the God of the universe who loves you so incredibly much. Love one another. Love God and love people. We've got five more verses, if I do my, did my math right, 11 through 14, to read. And I want you to receive these words as sort of a rallying cry. We're, we're, we're not going to get super in-depth with them. We'll close in prayer in just a few moments here. But there's a lot, there's some powerful images here about, hey, this is how Jesus is calling you to live. Okay, Romans 13 11 through 14, let's read these words. Besides this, you know the, know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. Thank you, God. This means the ultimate salvation, right? This is where we are headed. It's nearer now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. How about that? Cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. God is calling us to live a life that brings him honor and glory, and that involves getting rid of things that don't belong there. Take things off and put things on. Put the armor of light on. Let's put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together and ask God to help us with that. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this time of reflecting on these deep concepts. And Lord, the, the government uh, thing is tricky for us. Lord, we, we, we have a hard time with this in our culture to even think about this. And there's a lot more we could have said uh, this morning. But I pray that you your spirit would guide us into all truth. That's one of the roles of your spirit. So please help us with that. Help us to have our heads on straight about this political moment and how obsessed everybody is with politics and what's true and where the, right, the correct and true sources of information and all of these things that are so challenging right now. And Lord, help us to be engaged in our, our political process as we're able to, Lord, um, and to serve you know, as you might be calling us to serve in, in certain areas, Lord, but help us to 
uh, live our lives as good citizens of our nation, but also ultimately as uh, good citizens of your kingdom. Let us show love even in that. So Lord, we, we thank you for your word, and I pray that you just help us this morning to put on the armor of light. The day our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. We praise you for that amazing news, and I pray that you'd help us to walk in the light because you were in the light. Help us to put on your son Christ, Lord, and, and, and wear him and represent the, his personality, his character, his goodness to the world, that when they look at us, they see Jesus. Lord, we cannot do this without your help. We could submit ourselves. We can say, I want to do that, but Lord, we need the transforming power and the help from you, and then we need to just keep showing up to live out our lives day, day by day with you. So please help us with that, Lord. Bless your people and help us as we um, bring you praise right now in this time of worship. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.